Welcome to the Food Grower Podcast, the podcast that tells the story, highlights the techniques and talks tactics with food growers from all around the world. From market gardeners to allotment holders, field farmers to urban farmers, we want this podcast to inspire you to grow food or help you on your already existing food empire. I'm Chris from Fanfield Farm. I'm Jack from Jack's Patch. So in this week's episode, we introduce Michael Kennard of Compost Club. Hey Michael, how you doing? How's your week been, bro? Hey man, really good, really good. It's been quite chilled so far this week. I had a really busy one last week um, where I was moving all the kind of infrastructure, all the compost tumblers to a different area on the um, kind of um, industrial estate where I do all the processing. So it was like a bit mad. I had to move everything. And obviously wow. the tumblers were like half broken down stuff it was pretty grim as well but um <laughs> i managed to i roped in my brother to help me move it all he uh, he was meeting me to pick up his skateboard i was like you got a couple of hours mate and uh, <laughs> he's, he's a big old lad so he was, he was very handy but he wasn't he was more than he signed up for but th- yeah this week so far fairly chilled got a busy couple of days collecting tomorrow and thursday but yeah all good Awesome, awesome. Must have been hot work yesterday. It, it, it's very hot, yeah, it's yeah. very hot. Um, and, and everything I do is like, a big part of it is like human scale, so there's no, all the turning and all everything's just done by hand. I've got like, let's say, tumblers that, that do, you know, they take a bit of the back-breaking work out of the initial thing, but there's a lot of a lot of turning that goes on. I, I've got my, uh, my trusty fork. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, some of the sweat will help there. Uh, Help water the compost dam, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Add some, add some, add some biology to it, my own, yeah. But um, yeah, probably losing a bit of weight again, actually. <laughs> so obviously, we've we've known each other a little while. You've been, I've, I've met you in person here. Jack, Jack and, and yourselves have known each other a while as well. But for people who are listening, just tuning into the podcast, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, um, yeah, I mean, who, who am I? It's a good question. Don't get too philosophical. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so, so basically, I run Compost Club, which I set up uh, with a friend of mine just over a year ago, basically as as the first lockdown happened, um, just shortly after I started setting up a little market garden as well, and um, everybody was running out of compost, right? And um, it was yeah, it's difficult to find at least good stuff. I mean, um, and then obviously I learned that, that my definition of good stuff's changed since then as well. But um, we're, more on that later. Um, so yeah, we sort of set up basically. It was sort of I couldn't do my day job. Um, I'm an electrician by trade, and I do like domestic installations at kitchens and bathrooms and I've got a guy who, who buys prop, like weird old banks and stuff and then I go with my dad and we just turn it into something else um, which is which is nice it's nice work I enjoy that kind of thing um, but I couldn't do any of that he sort of shut down everything um, and so I just had a load of time and I thought well you know what you know what do I like doing I just sort of had this like re-evaluation really um, which is quite it was quite nice process to go through just to sort of think well, what do I want to do in this moment of pause like and what what could I do and basically I had this idea of like maybe like I could start regenerating soil and intercepting all the food that's going to waste all the time and sort of engineer hopefully which I'm still on the journey of now but try and engineer a way of creating sort of my job to become my activism or the other way around my activism can become my job so that's kind of where it was born from, really. 
um, and and then I just sort of went on this, and I'd done loads of composting. I've had an allotment for years, and obviously setting up the little market garden, and so composting's always been a thing I've done. Um, but just the sheer amount of food waste that that people generate is is insane. Um, and so yeah, just trying to sort of, I guess the idea, the sort of grand idea, is to kind of reflect in a system that kind of cycle that you see throughout nature rather than this lineal where we we get something we consume what we want of it and then the rest of it's just waste we'll just we'll bury it or we'll burn it or you know whatever nasty things are going to happen to it and it's going to emit you know methane and nitrous oxide and putrescine gas and all this nasty stuff um we can do something better with it and um so that's what i'm trying to do amazing i like what you said towards the end i've always they call it um black gold we're, mm. we're throwing away like a currency aren't we in a mm. way mm. um at, that's what i i love about it it's a regenerating process nature's already mm. doing the regenerating we just have to I, I i love what you're doing mate um is have you still got this set up where it's like a milkman service like for um food waste like people exchange the buckets like you take yeah. their waste you give them a free bucket of and is there Bakashi in there as well? Yeah, so basically this time of year there is. So it only sort of works above certain temperature, ambient temperatures. So this time of year, like from sort of spring, basically, until we start hitting autumn. So like maybe half the year I put. So the, the way it kind of works it is, yeah, I hadn't thought about it like a, like a milkman. It sounds nice. And um, someone was asking me, like, so you're basically you're becoming a bin man. And I was like, well, yeah, I can't argue with that, but I prefer the milkman analogy. But uh, yeah, so basically like I, I intercept these big sort of 30 litre white sealable buckets they come from like construction industry basically like um a lot of them there's a few different ones but most of them come from like the big cement trucks that are like a giant cement mixer most mm -hmm. of them those guys get like these different powdered additives for different types of concrete that they're making and they come inside a bag but also that bag's inside a box like a bucket um, just to make sure it doesn't get ripped, I guess. And the majority of those just get thrown away. I think some of them try and sell them and stuff. But um, the guy that I got the first lot from, he was like, I just throw away all of these. Because I just kind of put feelers out and said, oh, I need a load of decent-sized buckets. They were bigger than I was anticipating, actually, as well, which is nice because it worked out to be the kind of perfect size. But So it's like that. that's like the first thing, is already intercepting weight of one sort of waste stream. Um, and then <laughs> swing those all out. And then they go out to a member. Um, so domestic members, they'll have one bucket. And then after every three weeks, I'll go and collect that and give them another clean one. So I do a lot of like bucket cleaning, but it's quite, um, that's when like podcasts come on and just get, I've got these really nice little um, compostable sponges with like a loofah scouring pad on. And they're, they're doing the business for me at the moment. So that, that's all good. Um, and yeah, so that's it basically. It just keep, keep, keeps rotating on that basis every three weeks. I've got some um, like local businesses as well, which is really cool. There's a there's a juice bar um, called You Juice in town that give me like I get like twelve of those buckets every week. There's quite a lot of volume um, coming from those guys, and that's yeah, that's every week as well. So, but uh, and there's a few different businesses and stuff, which is really cool. They sort of helped initially to kind of get the word out, I think, because they would sort of share about it and. Then I get lots of lots of people on Instagram saying, "Hey, can we join your thing?" Um, it's really cool. 
That's amazing. Absolutely love that. I've just, you're cleaning your buckets. It just took me back. It gave me a, a weird memory that's not going to sound relevant at all, but it took me back to a family holiday in Mallorca, which was a holiday from hell, but that's a whole new story. But I remember seeing them cleaning glasses there and they had these basically like um, a, cir- a circle of brushes and then in the middle, a brush. Yeah. And by pushing down on the brush, it activated the brush in the middle to spin and then water jets to fly up through the brush. And I'm oh, just imagining some sounds, sort of yeah. bigger version for your buckets. <laughs> I, I, know, I have, I've got a design. I just haven't made it yet for basically, um, as a tradesman, I've got loads of tools and stuff. So, mm. um, basically, you know, like the, the little mixers you can use for mixing, um, plaster and stuff. Yeah. And you can get the little ones with your drill. Basically, one of them but with um with a decent brush fixed to the bottom and also like up both sides so you just put some soapy water in there and you just push down and it will it'll be obviously be rotating and clean the bottom and the sides as you lift it out but i have got something like that designed (laughs) i haven't made it um it doesn't have any water jets in it though that sounds good i think that might be a bit too high tech for me at the moment (laughs) just just jumped into my head what a strange memory to come back i love i love that 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 system though and i love that initially you're i mean what a wasteful thing to have like to to have a bag of something and then put it in another plastic bucket just in case the bag splits like do away with one of them but you're intercepting that and and starting that from an early point so yeah it's great absolutely love that um was it the food waste thing that really made you crack into it? Was that because you just, I mean, I've got a lot of people on Instagram that, that do the sort of laying out what they find, even thrown out the back of supermarkets and that sort of thing. And you see, I think it was something like eight and a half thousand pounds worth of cheese, a Tesco Metro throughout the other day in the yeah. bin, all absolutely fine. And it just gobsmacks me every time. So is that something that was that really drove you to start it? It's not, it's not really, it's quite an interesting one. It wasn't any one, I didn't come at it from any one angle. So I've got so many different kind of experience. I used to work in a little supermarket, like in my sort of late teens, and we had this big like trash compactor out the back that all the, the kind of, any food that couldn't, like, went past the sell-by or got a bit damaged or whatever would go into this little room. And then this, this lady would like scan it as like written off essentially off, off their system as like wastage. Yeah. Uh, so they had a record of it all. And then it all had to go in that thing. And I remember it just being like, that's what we did. And it was only when there was this one day, we, we all got called out this thing, like emergency, everybody got the back thing. And there were like people in there, like getting some of the stuff out, because some of it had gone in and they hadn't hit the buttons. It hadn't been compacted yet. And this guy was just like, what, what, you know, just, just turn away. Like, we'll just take it. Don't worry about it. And, mm. um, and it kind of, yeah, that, I mean, that got me thinking back then from when I was young. So the whole food waste thing is something that's been on my mind. And then the kind of, I, uh, a good few years ago now, I converted like a Luton van and then lived in that off grid for like two and a half years, just like solar panels on the top and um, just, yeah, just totally kind of went in that hole of like, we've got to do nothing because I think I had this idea that humans are like innately bad. Whatever we do <laughs> on this planet, it's bad. So our, the best we can try to do is the least bad. And it's quite a kind of, nasty little view really in the end because it wasn't until I got into like farming and 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 growing that that I kind of realized like you know you can be you can be regenerative and then actually like um a footprint becomes something you want to leave because you want to have lived and you want to have lived well and you you what if, if you do that and you're being regenerative you're leaving 
you're leaving a positive mark um, rather than this. Yeah, a much I find a much more of a much nicer sort of much more positive outlook now, certainly um, than I had back then. I do still have the the van on the driveway just in case I ever need to make a getaway, but it's been there for a while now. Uh, I like what I like what you said there because sustainability. I'm, I'm really I don't like the word. No, me neither. I hate it. I hate it. It's just keeping the same and we're not not progressing. We're not progressing. So to do um, something which I love that we can do with growing food and composting is regenerative and make it better than it already is. That's just the key, isn't it? It's the key Mm. to how we should be planning cities and all all types of systems. Um, Mm. And that's how permaculture fits in nicely um but but i mean to, to me it links in with the word emergent like in terms of terms of it, it, it extends to like the way we live because obviously as you say this regenerative agriculture we can do composting and this stuff but also when you what you touched on there about like the, the way we're living our lives we could be it needs to be emergent we need to respond and act accordingly to what's going on so we don't i think sustainability has become you know there's always this like cliche of like people just like things how they are because it's comfortable and so why have you got to make a load of noise while you're trying to change everything? But changing is exactly what we need. So we've got to just constantly be emergent because as well, what could happen is we could change things a bit to a level where we're comfortable with, but then, you know, the next generation sort of wants to change things further. Because, so we've got to constantly allow ourselves to sort of change all the time. Like uh, don't ever, what, one of my things is like, I never get too attached to any ideas that I have about anything because... Mm. You know, you, you, you're constantly learning. I mean, I, I, one of the things that, that I've sort of humble, like become quite humble, really, in terms of I kind of like it if someone can prove me wrong on something because then I, it just demonstrates uh, that I've learned something. Yeah, oh, that, that's so true, man. Like, look, I think we just all get put into labels in society these days. You're this, mm-hmm. you're that, creates arguments. But I, I just, I love to be proved wrong or because or you're, or mm-hmm. you're always learning. That's how you grow. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, in, it's a sign of intelligence if you can listen and change uh, as well. Um, going out, reaching out to everyone that's listening. What what do you think people can do on their like uh, farms, on their allotments? Um, kind of like stemming off the conversation we've just had, whether that is um, making their own compost or like upcycling. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, if people listen to, to you guys, they'll, they'll know about kind of don't till, uh, you know, all this stuff. So I would say in terms of how you can do that just in general life, I mean, one of the things I want to try and do is switch to a more sustainable transport. So at the moment, I'm driving about in a diesel, um, which, I mean, it's still, I've done a load of figures working out what kind of carbon emissions I'm saving by doing this amount of composting. And it's totally outweighing the, the needing to worry about the diesel emissions but even so it would be lovely to not have that at all and just be completely i mean it's already carbon negative because I'm, I'm saving way more than i'm using but to just get rid of that as well to just not have anything um would be something but but for people generally yeah i mean there's there's how you how you get how you get around i mean in terms of what you're eating not necessarily which foods but where those foods come from so like find your local farmers so like i mean i've been chatting to chris i need to get my get myself into gear but i'm gonna be uh, <laughs> i need to get signed up for that veg box because chris is just down the road so it just seems oh nice seems to be getting, we get like organic stuff all the time but just to be you know to know your farmer and know where it's coming from i think is really important i mean um 
yeah the amount of emissions that can come from like i think i think i would i don't know exactly but i wonder to what to what um extent the emissions from transporting food are versus the emissions from actually growing them i, I would imagine in many cases it's probably the transporting of it's probably worse than, than what went into actually producing it so if you can you can mm. cut that down you know great um and the sad story is the farmers are getting the blame for a lot. I know, I know conventional agriculture has a lot to, to, to that's going to have to have big shoulders for some of that blame, but a lot mm. of it does come down to those choices and, and the transport levels. We saw photos last year or infographics, as they're called, showing how many mm. sets of hands sort of supermarket vegetables yeah. was passing through. But what that should really have highlighted it is how many journeys that that food has had to take. And yeah. it certainly made me make some really strict choices in the last couple of months, even looking mm. at things like um, the amount of water that the almonds are taking and how many almonds yeah. need to go in for almond milk and using mm. some more local lo local alternatives to that. I mean, I, I was eating avocados every, every day for breakfast and then sort of mm. had a little bit of a worry about where they're coming from too. So, yeah, it's, it's those personal choices can make a huge difference. Absolutely. I mean, one of, when I had the market garden, one of my things that I wanted to do, it was like on my little list, was I was going to do a year of eating only seasonally and locally. So I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to eat anything that's come from anywhere else, anywhere further than like whatever determined radius I had. I mean, I'm, I'm probably going to still do it just for fun because it would, it would be good, but I, I was going to like document it and stuff and just have like weekends off perhaps or something. But Monday to Friday, only, only sort of locally sourced and seasonal, because that's the that's the most sustainable way to eat. Mm. And uh, you know, in, in talking about kind of trying to get back in line with what nature does, that's the way everything else does it. Um, you know, we're the only species that's shipping stuff all over the place. I mean, I heard sort of touching on the supermarket thing. I've heard various stories over the years of things like being produced, even that are produced here getting shipped abroad to be packaged into some plastic packaging and then shipped back again to be yeah. sold here again. It just seems absurd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a peat, uh, picture of um, some peaches, I think, and it's like grown in uh, Thailand or something, packed in Argentina to be sold in the US. It's like that, <laughs> just for some peaches that had a skin and then they unskinned it. <laughs> to put in some plastic <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah it is worrying and it, it it's clueless isn't it it's not a really good way of thinking it's not yeah. how we should be going forward anyway no and, and it's not i don't think it's like we haven't just gone from you know old school everybody knew their farmer and everybody got their stuff locally and all the shops were local shops to this it's been just like gradual it, uh, it's been a very gradual thing so it, we've kind of we've got to a point where we've just kind of got to wake up because it's got so extreme. But I don't, I don't, I think a lot of people sort of have this, not like conspiracy heads, but like they're looking at it from that to this and they don't see how we got here and how it's been so gradual. And they just go, oh, it's some big conspiracy and, you know, they're trying to destroy the earth on purpose and all this stuff. And it's not that. I think it's just born out of like this, this sort of, that, that sort of fallacy of convenience. Like it will just be so convenient, yeah. but like, the biggest inconvenience would be the, like the earth destruction. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's like a false kind. I mean, I, someone said to me once, you know, humans are great. We're really clever, but we're, we're not clever enough. We're, we're, mm -hmm. we're clever enough to invent a solution to a problem, but often the solution creates 10 new problems. 
and then <laughs> we find 10 new solutions for those 10 problems. But now we've got 100 problems mm. because of those solutions. And then it just, it just sort of snowballs. And I think that, you know, it sounds quite negative, but I think to, to some, maybe not to a factor of 10, but to some extent we do do that. I think we're a little bit short-sighted or at least up until now, I think people are kind of waking up to a lot and be like having to, well, we do globally, we have to look ahead more than just like, how's this going to look on my bank sheet in a few years? We've got a, you know, climate catastrophes a thing. So mm. we've, got to, uh, we've got to sort it out. It's crazy, isn't it, when we look at it from that point of view? Because you you look at like convenience is a great way of looking at. It. That's what I, I I'm completely on board with what you're saying there. It has come from convenience, and mm. that's come from time. And times it seems to be a false economy in itself. Because uh, I remember when we moved here. Um, so obviously we started up on on the farm and, and we just got the the static caravan here. And our only source of heat through the winter is a log burner, mm. which we can probably fill a whole podcast with talking about that. But um, <laughs> that aside, as someone who came around said, yeah, but it must drive you mad having to come in, light the fire just in order to get warm. Wouldn't you just want to fit central heat in and just switch it on, then you're warm. That would save you so much time. And I said, mm. okay, yeah, it sounds great. What do you do with that time when you switch the heating on? I said, oh, I don't know, sit down, flick through Facebook. <laughs> then, <laughs> then we've made that time, but just to, to waste it, it, it seems... Mm -hmm it seems there's just a, a link that's missing there so i mean it's so like, um, like a means to an end all the time rather than just i mean for me i mean I, i've always had this like fascination with fire it's people worried about me as a kid but it's nothing <laughs> to worry about i just like it like it's just very, it very i had a big stick in my mum's garden growing up that was my fire stick and every time we'd have people over i'd make a big fire in the garden and prod it with the stick you know? <laughs> <laughs> just felt this like call it calling to it but um anyway that that side like it's it's kind of it's it's not being present enough in what you're actually doing or finding um like finding the the joy or whatever it is in that thing or, or it might not even be joy but but just being present in what you're doing it's always kind of i think we live in especially with smartphones and stuff we live in like a time of distraction like like you say, most people, if you ask them what they're doing with that time, they probably wouldn't even be able to tell you. Like you say, like, I'll scroll from my phone, just like sort of, and they wouldn't, they've not like, it's not like they've sat and watched a good film. They've just scrolled and scrolled and scrolled. They've not, they've mm. basically just scrolled away the time yeah. when actually like just really sitting there and connecting, like make a little fire and connect to the, the, the nature around you and stuff would be a way. We just, we just need to slow down a bit, maybe. Definitely. I've got a little anecdote from one of our listeners and fellow grower, Danny from, lawson's market oh, yeah. and, and when i was there he does everything rustic and I, i'm he's got that rocket stove isn't he? he that's what i'm gonna mm. mention yeah, yeah. Like, the the great thing was he's like do you want a coffee and that coffee you're chatting mm. in that time but it's like you you earn the coffee because you've got to build the fire and then mm. you hear it whistle and there's something about that it just made it it makes it taste better as well it's just Transla i was just about to say it translates into the taste it's just, it, what it is it's not the taste it the whole experience is enriched it's experience yeah. yeah and that and that's what i love about food like i i travel now to eat good food because we don't mm -hmm. have much of a food culture here and i realized that when i well obviously that's what got me into this but mm -hmm. um yeah just the having an experience around something just enriches your life so that's mm. why like you building that fire chris for the log burner there's something about just prodding it yeah 
it's like a primal skill, isn't it? You're just, mm. it's not wasting time. You're always like learning or you're gaining something from that. I think that's mm. really cool. In terms of like just trying to segue this into the next question, and uh, you've got <laughs> something instead of flicking through Facebook, we should be flicking through uh, your little little uh, booklet about compost. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, trying to. <laughs> I try, nicely. Yeah, nicely. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm trying. I'm learning. <laughs> it's episode like, 12 now, Michael. We're not messing about anymore. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can you uh, explain about a few things it covers? Yeah, well, basically, I've tried to. I mean, initially, I started right. I've got like I'm right. I'm working on some other bits that are far more in depth. But I just thought, like, for me, what's really important is to get. It, it's basically it's like how to, and it's like the basics of hot composting. So it's, it's, I hope, quite sort of broken down quite simply, um, in just the basics of how to do it. Because I think it's really important to just get the message out there to as many people that if you're a little bit interested, have a little flick through and 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 have a go. Um, and then hopefully it can help people. Because I, I, I hear a lot from people saying, oh, I've had a go at composting. It just went, it was just a slime and it stank. And I had to get the council to come and take it away. It was very disgusting. <laughs> um, so, you know, it didn't like, like, hear from people like composting. It doesn't work. Can't do it. And it is kind of simple. It just, you just got to know, it's the same as anything. You just got to know how to do it. So I just basically break down, break down those key things Um so there's like little tips in there. There's like I mentioned like different types of compost to use. So I've mentioned I use these compost the tumblers initially, um, which you can use and they make things really quick. You can just make pallet bays. You, you get like the green Joanna things that are like Daleks. You get all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and, and also I sort of touch on because one of the things as well is like if you if you compost badly, it's better off, and you're doing it for the environment. You're better off not doing it at all because it, like if your compost is smelly, that means nutrients that would be plant available in that compost are being leached off as gas, mm. and that's what those smells are. So if it's starting to get smelly, you're, that, that's probably, that could be methane, that could be nitrous oxide, that could be like this disgusting, like putrescine gas, it's like grim, like, and there's like, like cheesy kind of smells and like vomit kind of smells. And yeah, like, so any of that stuff, it, it, you just gotta, you've gotta get in there and, and, and the, the, the basic kind of principles are keeping the right moisture level, um, making sure there's oxygen in there um, and and like having the right kind of mass in the first place for it to sort of get to do what it's got to do. And the sort of the main thing is what, what ingredients you put in there. So if you've got the right ratio of carbon to nitrogen, which is a big thing, and I think that's what a lot of people don't, they still think about it in terms of like greens and browns. And so often I've had people say, oh, like I put a load of grass in and then I'm going to chuck in a load of um, coffee grounds as like the brown thing, but that's high nitrogen, like super yeah. high nitrogen. Mm. So it's brown, but it's not carbon. So, so one of the things in this is I talk about, like try not to think about it as green and brown, try and think about it as carbon and nitrogen. And I've got in here like a little table of like higher, higher carbon and then higher nitrogen common ingredients that people could use yeah it's not it's nice it's good sometimes people do see it as the color don't they mm. um and and a lot of the time it is in terms of like grass being green and then leaves being brown and, and whatever um and i just want to add slightly like we talked about it being smelly but good compost should smell good sweet almost yeah um, yeah i mean so one of the things you get in compost which i I'm pretty sure I touch on in the book is, uh, yeah, I think I do. So there's this thing called actinomycetes, which is like a lot of people sometimes think it's a uh, fungi because it's like, 
it looks like that. It's like filamentous bacteria, actually, and it's like white. But what it what it mm. does, it in, in ter- it does some fantastic stuff. Like it's really good for breaking down things, um, and it and it has that smell of like forest floor. Mm. It, it's what often people think. Like they go, oh, that's that smell. Um, but in terms of composting and 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 you actively doing it, it is it's like a they call it like a facultative facultative anaerobe. So it exists between very, very low oxygen levels. I think it's I think it's two parts per million and six parts per million. I think it's between those two, um, which is really super low. So for me, I, I, I allow it to sort of do its thing a bit, but it is a sign that your compost is going anaerobic. So if there's like a lot of that stuff, you want to get in there and turn it and, and just re-oxygenate it all, um, which just sort of spreads it all about and allows it to sort of compost more evenly and stuff anyway. Um, but that's uh, that's often where that smell comes from is those actinomycetes. That's awesome. There's some great tips in there for for getting started, and and people should just pick up the handbook um, if they do want to. I think touching yeah. back on that point, you, it is. I mean, there's always two things that people tend to and it tends to be family or or friends on the outside of growing that say these things and i'll come to the second one in a minute but the first one is that oh i've tried it but the bin just stinks and we end up just pushing it past the wheelie bins or getting someone to take it away or bagging it up mm-hmm. and taking it to the tip and that's that's when the it's the, yeah it's that slushiness that smell it's when it goes what we know as anaerobic right um yeah. what's what sort of uh, your you just t- touched on it there but for people listening who are just getting started ways to stop that from happening carbon add carbon so so i've got i've got some relatives until recently would they basically they've got like a lovely caddy and they put all their food waste and veg peelings in there um and then they take it out to their they've got one of those green joannas the garlic thing and they chuck it in there and then they shut the lid mm-hmm. and then they fill up their caddy and they take it down they chuck it in there and they shut the lid and it's like yeah it's like slime because food waste is very very high in nitrogen so you need you need to i mean i i aim for like a 50 50 balance of carbon to nitrogen so you need to get something ideally if you're just putting loads of food waste in something that's also structural that holds some air gaps in there because if you're not getting in there and turning it as well so like have a part just have a pile of wood chips and then like and also just let that wood chips kind of age because then the fungi start to get in it as well which is just a, a whole nother thing in terms of composting in terms of the fungi to bacterial ratios and stuff um it, again it's one of the things i aimed for in in my composting approach is to try and get that to like a one-to-one balance um which is sort of ideal for like row crops and grasses and and it's still it's it's not too far away from things like tomatoes and potatoes or shrubs and vines and stuff like that um uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of compost I've looked at tends to be very bacterially dominated, which is great for brassicas. Um, mm. But obviously, you know, you've got succession, so you've got like lettuces, onions, and brassicas, and all that stuff, which likes bacterially dominated, and then it sort of creeps up to tomatoes and potatoes, and then one to one, let's say those row crops and stuff, and then you've got shrubs and vines, and then you get into like forest, and then ultimate fungi is like conifer, old growth, like proper. That's like the succession has has happened. And that's that's where it's trying to get to all the time, um, but yeah, I sort of digress a bit from your question. I think just no, get some wood chips in there. I think was yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can add you can add like any any high carbon thing. So it's like shredded paper, um, you know, little toilet roll tubes. Just rip them up. Any cardboard, just rip it all up. 
Um, but wood chips is kind of the best thing. If, if it is that kind of thing where you're just chucking it in there and, you know, you, you want the wood chips will just hold some little gaps, basically. I love that. The other one I'm going to touch on, I'm basically asking this because it's my dad that always says it, but he says compost bins bring rats into the garden. What do you mm. say to that? You must have heard oh. that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's why. So, so that's the thing. So because I'm composting, I'm in an urban setting. I'm in the city and rats is, a, is not good. So that's why compost tumblers initially. So they're off the ground, they're sealed. So it's like, um, like sort of summarize, it's like in-vessel composting. So you add, so basically I've got these big units, you put the food waste in, you put wood chips in, aim for 50-50, and you just sort of turn those like once a day. Um, towards the end, you can do it maybe every couple of days and it allows the fungi to do a bit more, but that can, that can happen later. Um, you, you, it, they get so hot because they're, they're just it could just simply be like an insulated metal unit or a plastic unit like a big drum basically with a couple of doors is essentially what they are and they just turn and they break down they do the initial breakdown in like three two to three weeks um, to a point where it's like not recognizable as food waste anymore um, rodents and things aren't interested in it anymore and then you can empty it from that um, so you can compost a lot more a lot quicker <clears throat> um, and and then you can mature it in bays and allow it to break down further. Um, that, I mean, that's sort of my process is to do those compost tumblers. Then it goes into a little windrow and gets turned another couple of times. Then it just sits because um, there's that, that wood chip that's still in there, obviously broken down considerably, but it's in there, that carbon, and that's the fungal food. So then it sort of sits and matures and that fungi sort of proliferates because every time you turn, and it's one of the, one of my big things is that I don't screen my compost because when you do that, <coughs> pardon me, you, uh, <coughs> you slice and dice all the sort of fungal strands in there, all the mycelial sort of web that's formed and the bacteria will, will still be there. So that's how you can end up with a, like screen it if it's for your brassicas, but if you're wanting to grow, you know, something a bit further along the succession, I just, I sort of just go through it in my hands and most stuff's all broken down after that, that point anyway, so I, let it sit with the fungi and then I turn it once more into a bay which is like crawling with with composting worms so then they finish the breakdown and they obviously enrich it with their worm casting so it's kind of yeah it's kind of had that thermophilic phase where you get because there's so much kind of food for the for the microorganisms in there you just get these thermophilic um bacteria and fungi that just get it gets to like 60 between like 55 and 70 celsius um so it gets super hot, like steaming, like you put your hand in there, you've got to whip it out quickly, it'll get burned, right? um, And that's just because you've got those conditions that I mentioned earlier. You've got the oxygen because you're turning it. You've got the right ratio in there. You've got the right moisture. You want like 50% moisture for that at that point. Um, and you can buy little meters that sort of probes that go in, but you, there's a really good way of testing it. You just get like a, get a handful between your two hands and just really squeeze it. And if you get like two, three drops, that's, that's it that's the goal if you're not getting any then it's probably too dry well it is too dry if you're getting loads then it's definitely too wet um and so yeah just aim for that kind of like 35 to sort of 65 percent but 50 is like optimal awesome. so is it so the it's the dura composter that's the yeah well i've got different ones so i've got a few of those um they're really good they're really expensive um <laughs> i've got some of these unit called maize which aren't insulated but I've, I mean, I've only used them sort of this time of the year, but they work, they're a bit smaller, so you don't get as much in there. But if you were just at home, they're kind of, 
they're fine. They've got like they both have two chambers, so you can sort of fill up one gradually, keep turning it, and then you've got like little the the maze has got like one door with a little time on it, a little clock on it, and one with a plus. So like you put the time on that, the little clock on that one, and then obviously you fill up the one with the plus. So you start filling up the second one while the first one's breaking down, and you can kind of empty them one at a time. And so you've got this constant throughput. Um, so that's really handy, and they're yeah, you get sort of decent amount. Now I think they're I think they're made 245 liter as their capacity. Um, Duraform's like 400, so it's a, it's a lot bigger and it's insulated. But they're kind of they're they're designed in Sweden, so obviously it's a lot colder for a lot longer there. So they're kind of necessary for there. But I found these little ones do, do just as good a job at the moment. Um, and there's another company, the UK-based company called Rydan which I'm hopefully going to be trying next. That's like a big unit with like a constant throughput. So the, the, the food waste and the wood chips going at the top at one end and you, you rotate, you turn it and it, it keeps rotating it all. But as it does it, it kind of like a corkscrew, it moves it along. The, oh, the, nice. and it kind of looks like, um, it looks like an old hot water cylinder, but on its side, cool. it's got this jacket over it. So it's insulated and then it works its way down and then it comes out the bottom at the other end. And you can put, apparently I'll be able to put like 60 litres of food waste per day, which is like wow. two of my big buckets, so like two members a day. Whereas the, the maize unit, I can put four or five members' food waste in them, and then that's that for like two to three weeks, and I can't do anything until I empty it again. So this thing, although it's a lot more expensive, it's like constant throughput. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm kind of that's trying cool. out different ones really as well, so that obviously when... You know, when I'm talking to people like you guys or anybody that, that, that reaches out, I can give a bit more of a kind of broader uh, advice on it, really. You, you, you'll start to find out like a solid time frame as well. Uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. Uh, and, and I can imagine as it grows, it's still in the baby stage. Like you're kind of like learning on the job. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I've sort of been capped at like, I do, I do the equivalent of 150 households every three weeks. So like 150. Oh, that's incredible, weeks. mate. Well, I worked out that's, that's about 80,000 80, litres of food waste per year. And then just a couple of days ago, I went onto the, the government website. They've got like this bit on their portal thing for like businesses that have to report carbon emissions and stuff. And so there's like this thing that DEFRA have produced with like a, like a big massive spreadsheet thing. But there's a page on there about waste. And then there's a there's a there's a few um, rows on there for for food waste, and so you can they'll tell you how many like it's CO two E so it's like carbon uh, equivalent so there could be methane like it counts for all of it, um, and it's carbon equivalent emissions if it went to landfill. So I basically did the calculation for eighty thousand liters if you sort of convert that to weight so you get the tonnage, um, and then you. So you get that figure for landfill and then you take off the food because there is some carbon dioxide emitted from from aerobic composting as well but way less and it's it was saving it's 49 point something million it was just under 50 million um kilos of carbon emissions per year which like blew my mind I thought, wow 50 wow. million kilos and i and like you say i'm not i'm not even i mean it feels like a lot to me but like mm. i'm not doing that much like in t like 150 households every three weeks isn't a lot of households really not mm. it's not by comparison to how many there are um mm. so yeah hopefully hopefully what i want to do within the next year is double that um and that yeah that could potentially be about 100 million kilos of, of carbon emissions carbon equivalent emissions saved per year um by comparison to landfill so it feels 
that felt quite good. I wasn't expecting it That's to be anywhere amazing. near that much. That's a legacy, mate. That it, brilliant. Uh, what what I like about what you're doing as well, Michael, is I see you it, in terms of we, we spoke about this on Soul Farms podcast that as well as like we're all into growing, we need and I spoke to Dowdin about it at the weekend. We need more mm. um, compost makers, uh, mm. like seed savers, blah blah blah. But when I think of compost makers and genuine compost, that I would be like so happy to pay whatever price you put on like a ton bag. Because I know it's going to be full of micro um, activity. It's not going to have like amino pyrolid. It's mm. just a bit more like guarantee that you're making, as I said, black gold. Mm. Uh, well, that's one of the. So one of the one of the things you've led me on to one of my little my little quips that I like to say to people. So I, what I say is like I don't sell compost. I mean I do, but but I don't, I'm not I'm not in, I'm not in the business of selling compost. I'm in the business of selling biology. Compost mm. is just how I make it. So that's mm. one of the things. So I, I've got a microscope, so I sort of put everything under there, take samples regularly and kind of do little. I, I can't wait to start sharing it. I've got a little camera now because it's like a trinocular, so I could look through and then there's a little one for a camera to go awesome. on the top. Oh, so like, it's, just, it's just like bumbling with life, like just, just going nuts. So I had to, the first sample I did, I had to dilute it down twice because there was too much going on for me to be able to do any sort of count on it. Um, <laughs> wow. And then, so, so like, basically, there's a way. So you, you take a sample and you you obviously extract that into a liquid in in a test tube, and then you like, yeah, you put you you set up a slide and you put it under, and yeah, it was just too it was too mad. So you you, you basically you can do a further dilution and then a further dilution again until you sort of it's it's low enough that you can actually count and you can count bacteria, fungi, protozoa, nematodes, you know, little microarthropods, whatever's in there, um, and you can you can sort of write down how many you see on that size or that co cover slip and then you basically multiply that back up by the dilution rate and then you've got mm -hmm. like a, a count um of, of the sort of approximately what's in that compost you know per however much um so yeah i mean it's just yeah that's the, that's the thing really in terms of soil regeneration you've got to have the you've got to have the organic matter and and, and you've got to have the biology in there to kind of do its thing um and then you've got nutrient cycling. I mean, that, that was one of the things on the, uh, so I did like the soil food web course with Elaine Ingham um, with a friend when we started doing this. And um, it sort of was a bit mind blowing, like the kind of initially, like the first one was quite kind of easy going. And then the next one just hits you with science pretty hard. I remember coming over thinking, whoa, have I signed, have we signed up for a bit too much here? But then it, it kind of eases off again and it all starts to make sense. And just the whole kind of, the whole kind of there was a really good comparison made which was like um like plants don't have like stomachs like people do um but they have that immediate sort of zone around their root system in the soil which acts in the same way so when we when we eat like a like a kale um it's like it's like a lot of the times with kale like what's really good for you is like what's on the kale like the bacteria that's on the kale and and within that kale and then you're it's kind of not really you that, that breaks it down. It's like the, the microbiome that's in your gut that does it. And then we feed off of them, um, which mm. is pretty mad. I mean, there's like, there's way more sort of, you know, as a human, you, if you were to take you as a human, there are far more cells within you that aren't human cells. They're way outnumbered by different bacteria and things, so mm. microorganisms. And it's the same with plants or it should be in the soil. So they have this root structure and, depending on where they are in succession, succession is different amounts, but they basically exude 
um, nutrients. So they're, they're photosynthesizing. And then depending on what plant it is, they're letting out a certain amount of that into the soil and putting it into the soil, which is how you get carbon sequestration because they're putting that in the soil. So a lot of people, I think, I've heard people say planting trees isn't the answer because then when the tree gets cut down, that's all the carbon released again. But it's not because if you don't, if you leave the soil, most, I mean, cut a trees, like old growth forests, about 40% of what of the energy they obtain through photosynthesis, they put it in the soil and it stays there, mm. like forever, potentially. So that's, that's that, you know, that's great. Um, so, yeah, it's just, uh, I sort of went off on a tangent. I don't even know where I am now, but. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> we'll we jump forward to, I, want, I do want to dive into um, Dr. Elaine Ingram's course a little bit. Um, mm. But before before we jump too far forward with that, I just want to, I mean, look, send me a bill for consultation for my questions because I'm just asking <laughs> you things that I've wanted to know the answer oh, no, to I'll for pop, a while. I'll pop down, I'll pop down soon, man. Yeah. Um, my question is, I mean, it talks a lot about the tumblers there and I did some um, some work on and soil testing here and got some advice and things. And I employed um, here more uh, compost heaps with the Johnson Sioux sort of yeah. methods where it's yeah, piling them up down. but with chimneys through yeah. um and the reason i did that was because i was worried about by turning or, or tumblers and turning and stuff i was worried about breaking down that that sort of fungal build up mm-hmm. have you have you seen i mean you use the tumblers and then turn once after have you seen any downside to that or does is there still enough time of it sitting that it still Man, builds the, up the loads fungi, the fungi that i'm seeing in like the secondary piles after that initial turn now is like i've not seen anything like it so i've been doing it been doing this for like just over a year year and a half maybe and tried loads of different ways and stuff and and what i'm finding in the way that i'm doing it now just because I was using a lot of times I was using like shredded card and and stuff just because it was a resource that was there but actually I'm finding like if I just age some wood chips and then I add those with the food waste at the from the very beginning um when that stuff comes out and goes into a I basically create a mini Johnson too if you like so it's a Mm. it's a it's a little cage of of like chicken wire essentially in a hoop um yeah. best way is to like put it on top of a pallet with some mesh on that um but with these when it's at this stage sometimes i don't because it's already really broken down um and then just build that and then all i do is i just use like a big i've got essentially like a big branch and i just stab it down through the top after mm-hmm. a couple of days and and make those little chimneys and the steam that comes out of them is really fun isn't it it's really yeah. exciting <laughs> I love doing it. um and and within a few days especially if there's been a bit of rain the fungi that are in that pile like all over the top you get a little flush straight away and then i leave it in there usually for about two two weeks two to three weeks before i do a turn and when i'm doing it there's a picture i shared on instagram like there was a tiny little little mushroom on the top and i started just putting my fork in and turning it into the next bay and then there was like this little fungal strand like the mycelial strand from the essentially like that root is what it looked like Mm. going down and down and down and i thought i'm just gonna like excavate it and it went from the top of the pile to the bottom almost it was nearly a meter long like just that one and i was finding loads of them all the way around the edges so there's definitely no shortage of fungi doing it that way um the johnson sue things i think they just they just take a lot longer i think um in terms of just like the of what the tumbler does in like three weeks they would just do a lot slower so it just yeah. depends how much what you want to get through and how much you want to produce really i'm trying to just maximize 
maximize the time and maximize how much food waste I can take. Um, so I'm always getting people asking, can they join? And it's like, breaks my heart every time I have to say, oh, I'm at capacity. Like, I really <laughs> want to. Like, um, so it's just a case of getting there. And uh, I remembered where I was going with that last thing about the kind of the, 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 the analogy of the, the, the plants having the stomach thing. It was like what she basically sort of got across was um, it's like, so plants need a trace amount of nutrients and a broad spectrum of them. And they need those constantly replenished, which is why you want that cycling of nutrients. What you don't really need is like the conventional sort of agronomist approach where they would say, what you're growing and OK, so you're growing that in that field. You need this much nutrients for the year, for the growing season. And mm. we'll put it, we'll spread it all out over it because what they're probably giving you is like um, inorganic stuff. So it's salt based. So it washes away, whereas biology doesn't wash. A good biology produces alkaline glue. So it sticks on and it stays there. It doesn't wash away doesn't pollute anywhere like in rivers it just stays there and it you know if you keep feeding it um, organic matter it just grows you get more of it um and it, and then the analogy which cracked me up she's like you'll be like taking a person and saying right what do you what's your favorite meal oh you like beans on toast do you chris okay chris here's a year's worth of beans on toast you've got to make that last for a year like it would be great, <laughs> wouldn't it? you wouldn't be able to eat it all in one go you need it yeah. you need you need three lots of beans on toast every day um 365 days a year and ideally you want a bit of a mix you don't just want beans on toast you might want steak and chips one day or something you know mm. <laughs> i love that I, I took the neil scorfield course on on soil and he mm. said something similar in that it was talking in fact I, someone asked me about this yesterday using sort of a liquid feed for a quick hit of a quick boost and i said well it will give a quick boost but what his analogy was kind of that yeah it'll give a quick boost but there's a there's a relationship under the soil between microbiology and the plant exudes something that microbiology eats and then the reverse happens so if yeah, well, you give clever, yeah. They, yeah they, they release the exudates that attract the biology that they need to release to produce their the nutrients they need it's really mm. specific per plant as well yeah, exactly. Well, it's incredibly clever. But yeah, but so by you giving them a quick dose of that food, that makes the microbiology bugger off somewhere that is exuding what they need, breaks down that relationship, and then it takes a lot longer for it to, to pick back up after it's run out of your liquid feed, um, which yeah, and, works yeah, really well for like... liquid feed people selling those companies, selling that <laughs> stuff, because you have to buy it again and again and again, but well, it doesn't it's, um... It's, it's, it's like a, a drug addict, drug addict um, relationship, isn't it? Like you, yeah. as, soon as, you, as soon as you fall into the chemical inputs, what you do with that is you, you damage, as you've said, you damage the relationship and you damage the microbiology and you kill a lot of it, actually. So you then, you, you, you'll see results maybe in the short term and then your, your second cropping of something will start to fail a bit and you say, oh, we need more of that stuff. But every time you're applying that stuff, you're, you're dam you basically... I mean, I, sh I shared a thing, actually. What was it? Um, oh, I shared a thing earlier. It was something like soil without biology is simply... Um, I think I saw this. I'm going to try and help you. One sec. Soil without uh, biology is just geology. Geology. Oh, no, I got it just as you were saying it. <laughs> yeah, it's just geology. So, you, you, you turn, so it's sand, silt and clay. That's what, that's what soil is as in, on a component level. Like that's all it is somewhere is a mix of those things and so what you need you need the organic matter which feeds the biology which actually 
that because the Santa and clay have all the nutrients within them, any of those three, to feed any plant, essentially, but it's locked up in these little crystalline structures and the plants can't get it out, but nature's made it so there's these tiny, tiny little things you can see under a microscope that can get in there and they're the bacteria and the fungi. They're like the first thing um, in, in the successional thing. So they can get in there and they can, they can break it out and they can eat it and then you get what, what one of the great um, things from the Elaine Ingham thing, you get the poop loop. So things will eat things and they'll poop out what they didn't need. That poop is plant available nutrients. Mm. And then the next thing will eat that thing and the things that that doesn't need, it poops out. And then those things become plant. And so you just got, you need this cycle, you need things eating things. And that's where plant available nutrients come from essentially. And like all of them, I love that. So good soil is like a good apple crumble, I heard. So you, if it's if it's too dry, you've got too much sand. If it's too wet, you end up with clay like we've got. Mm. And yeah, so it's that perfect mix of the, the dry, the wet, the sand, yeah. the clay. But the beauty is you can depend, like whatever soil you've got, you can bioremediate that essentially by applying the organic matter and applying the, the uh, biology and then applying some time <laughs> because it'll, it'll do its thing so in this analogy it's just a good custard you can fix any yeah. crumble with a good custard <laughs> yeah. so you did touch on dr elaine ingram's course um how have you found the sort of in-depth learning of, of the soil has it completely changed your perception it hasn't and it hasn't changed my perception but it's given me it's given me a lot more understanding, absolutely. I would say that's what it's done. And certainly, like in terms of the methods of producing compost, it's changed it like slightly. But a lot of times it was sort of reaffirming stuff I was sort of doing, but just sort of intuitively, I guess, and through trial and error. Um, and obviously it's good to know, like I wouldn't be here talking to you guys, telling you anything, unless I knew that I knew what I knew, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I would just carry on doing it on my allotment by myself it sort of empowers you i guess to sort of become you know it gives you that almost that sort of authority to be able to say i know what i'm talking about here actually and people need to know it's almost that it's like it empowers you they show you these case studies of like where they've improved places like drastically and they've done side by side field comparisons of like applying biology and conventional agriculture and the the, the results are like astounding every time so it sort of it gives you like this drive to get the message out there. Or certainly did to me anyway. Um, so that's yeah, that sort of spurred me on to to do do more and and just just get it out. Yeah, it's leveled your knowledge. Oh yeah, exactly. Oh, like, I mean, it's like um, it's like going on like Charles Dowding, one of Charles Dowding's growing courses. Mm. It's the same sort of thing, but just more specifically. I mean, she's like the I don't know if she's the I think she is like the global leading soil biologist. Yeah, and yeah. so like with anyone to learn she's like the charles dowding of of soil yeah yeah no definitely man i can see your progression over the last couple of years since we've been talking but that course it's just like the level of knowledge like i'm i'm constantly mind blown and this conversation is a lot more in depth than what we talk about normally i love it. it's mm -hmm. just soil pacific because when you realize mm -hmm. that the soil, you need to keep the soil healthy. It's not the plants that are sick, it's usually the soil. Um, yeah. Well, it, well it, it, it's a knock-on effect, right? So if you've got healthy soil, you'll have healthy plants. And if you've got healthy plants, you'll have healthy people. And, and whatever 
whatever other life forms eat those plants or, or feed off those. So, but if you've got bad soil and you're having to put chemicals in there, you're going to get poor plants, you're going to get low nutrition, you get, which means you're going to get people are going to be tired. They're not getting the nutrition from their food. They're going to be ill because of the chemicals. You know, I mean, what glyphosate does to like the lining of your gut and stuff um, can take some of the most healthy food, like could take like a kale and kind of if, 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 you're, if, if you're suffering and you're, you're sort of eating a lot of that kind of food and you, it breaks down the lining in your, in your gut and stuff, then they can actually make you sick. Like mm. the healthiest food that should be, should be anti-inflammatory can actually be adding to the inflammation because your body can no longer do what it should be doing with that because the plant, I mean, glyphosate is essentially an antibiotic. Um, so it's like it damages you, <laughs> basically. Um, it's another reason, you know, shout out to you guys doing growing the way that you're doing. And, you know, that's why it's important. Antibiotic means anti-life, doesn't it? Really? Exactly, yeah, and it's non-discriminatory. I mean, I, I had to take some for the first time. I don't like. I haven't been to see a GP for like eleven years, but I had um, I had a tooth that that went really bad, and I, me being me, I tried to pull it out myself, and it snapped. And so the, oh. just the root was stuck in there, and um, it got infected. So I had to have it taken out, and I had to have antibiotics. And I really didn't want to, but like I was in like agony, and even that was about that was probably about six months ago. And it, even now, like my energy levels aren't great. I'm just like hitting it with nutrition, like because it's non-discriminatory, as I say. So it 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 it, it will attack that that bacteria that's causing you an infection. But once it's in your stomach, it will wipe out. I mean, there's some. I read a, a study, and it was saying that there are some because your your microbiome gets informed like from birth, like you know when you you know you come out and you you're you're exposed to all of this stuff. So you can lose some some of that. And potentially never get it back from like from course of antibiotics. So, and there's some really like scary research. Like people are on antibiotics maybe like once a year for things that lead to like long term anxiety and depression and stuff. So I'm having it's, to it's all linked, isn't it? It's the second brain. And yeah, absolutely, exactly. Yeah, it's made me a massive geek about soil. Like when I make compost, I am geeking hard. Like the, what it does is just working away. And if, if anything, we don't really do anything, do we? We're just stewards. We're just like, the, the magic is happening under my tarps under winter where I throw everything together and then I come back and I've, it's like an oven. It's like, oh, here's the cake. And <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly it. <laughs> yes. No, that's exactly it. I say that to people when they say like about, about sort of method, my method of composting. But essentially, I, I, I do try and say that, like I'm just sort of stewarding the process. I facilitate that compost breaking down. I don't break it yeah. down. That's the yeah. bacteria, the fungi, the protozoa, the nematode, the microarthropod. They are all doing that. And the worms, like, I just, I just make the, the, the habitat for them to live in there and do that. And then they do, like, they're the best workers. They, they, they don't have days off, you know. They, you know I don't have <laughs> yeah. to pay them. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> See, it's all right. Free labour. Free labour. Oh, some yeah, people have I mean, children. Yeah. Some people, <laughs> some some people, people have worms. We were getting so much good stuff from this episode that we didn't want to stop. So what we've done is we've split it into two episodes for you. So the rest of this conversation with Michael from Compost Club is awesome and it's out next week on the next episode of the Food Grower Podcast. If you want to catch up with what Michael's up to at the moment, do head over to Instagram and find at compost.club. Follow us while you're there. 
at Food Grower Academy. And if you can or want to support us continuing to make this podcast and having these awesome conversations, then head over to patreon.com forward slash food grower academy. Do tune back in for the next episode. The rest of this conversation is just as awesome as the first half. Thank you.